Hey, so uh, hello there. Hope you're having a good day, good night, whenever you're listening to the podcast. So me and Ian are going to be talking about two films tonight. We're talking about Get Out, that um, that cue you just heard uh, should make you shiver with fear if you've already seen Get Out. I'll never be able to hear someone stir tea again without thinking about this movie. Uh, I should warn you before we get started that if you haven't, you'll see it in the in the listing. But if you didn't read the listing fully with the big spoilers tag, if you haven't seen Get Out, our second film, Buster's Malheart, please stop listening now or we're going to ruin your life. And it's a really good film and you really don't need it spoiled for you. It's it's just a nice little twist. So. It, these have been... Um... Our two most anticipated films of this year, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, probably for me, Buster's Malheart, for me, I don't think you gave a shit, right? No, I didn't give a shit about that. <laughs> but I did want to see Get Out as well. Yeah. And I almost saw it in the theater. Um, but I just, I didn't want it to be ruined for me in the theater. And I think that's why I kept reluctant, I was reluctant to go see it there, right? So we saw it um, in the backyard. I saw it on my own because I couldn't wait for you. You were off doing your gig and I watched it here in the office and I literally was, I was watching it. I was screaming and oh shit and running around in a circle. Even though I really knew early on that we were in a being John Malkovich situation. Have you ever seen being John Malkovich? No, I haven't. So I kind of want, I, I want, I've wanted to see it. I just haven't gotten around to see it. If you'd seen that movie, I just started getting that tingly bit. And again, I didn't see it in the theater. And I followed Jordan, um, uh, what am I saying? Jordan Peele on Instagram. And I kept seeing the shot of the teacup and a shot of Chris sitting there crying and the deer antlers. And people were putting, they were doing a lot of fan art with these three elements. So that's what you were seeing. Because you had mentioned that, you know. Um, yeah. You were like, why are people putting this up or something like that? And then when you finally saw it, you're like, oh, I get it. So when he goes into the sunken place the first time that Missy puts him under, I was like, oh, being John Malkovich. And that movie made me very uncomfortable, even though it was a lot more, obviously, um, I don't know, it was a lot more fun than this movie. But that movie made me uncomfortable. Just being, the feeling of being trapped in general kind of freaks me out. So, yeah, and I think Catherine, was Catherine Keener? I had to look it up. I got to do this. I'm gonna, you're going to hear the clicks of the keyboard. I'm going to look this up. I think that Catherine Keener, who plays Missy in this, the evil bitch who hypnotizes Chris and puts him in the sunken place, I think she was in being John Malkovich. Uh, hopefully I can find that because it's going to be a while ago that she did that. Yep, she was. She was in it as well. 1999, she was in being uh, mm -hmm. John Malkovich. So... I don't know. I don't know if that was conscious casting on Jordan Peele's part or not. But there's a lot of there's a cool references, like the mention of the head maze, the little Keith Stanfield character when we're first going along. There's a lot of cool little Easter eggs in this movie, and I'm not going to ruin them for you. You should go and pick them out. Um, it's a movie that you watched two or three times. Yeah, you've seen it. What you see it, you, when we watched it, it was your second second time, and then oh. I've been picking through it for. Um, to prepare for the podcast, so like two and a half times, sort of jumping around in my favorite parts, like the end. The end is my favorite part because 
I was like, oh my God, please don't let this be an ironic uh, movie. But this is why I like Jordan Peele doing this because he gave us an ending that only he could give us, that a black director who loves horror films, who watches those films in that way, that's like, you know, oh shit, revenge is going to happen. And that's also why I'm very grateful for um, my favorite character in, in the whole, everybody does a fine job, but um, my favorite guy is Laurel, Laurel uh, Howery, who plays Rod Williams, his best friend, because he is our Halloran from The Shining. He is our ray of hope. He's the, he's us, you know, he's us going, motherfucker, get out of there, motherfucker. Yeah. I told you not to go to that white girl's house. You know, that's, so, that's sort of like he's got that classic Jordan Peele comedy about him. Yes. And I think that he even said in an interview, uh, Peele did, that this would be the character he would have played in this film. Had he put my, himself in the movie, uh, him or Keegan would have played this guy, you know, going, bitch, just what the, what the hell? And he goes in and he lays it all out for them. And this is a very shining-esque moment when, you know, Scatman Crothers is trying to call the authorities to, to get to Danny because it's all going to hell at the Outlook, you know. And I love that kind of there is a rescue on the way, but man, on the way to the rescue, um, you know, there's going to be some, there's going to be some blood all over the yeah. place. There's going to be some bad things. Um, I don't like Allison Williams normally, uh, especially on, she bugs the shit out of me on girls. Uh, but I loved her in this. I think she's got a future playing villainous white women. So, and this is her first feature film. So I loved her playing this part. I think this is how I feel about Marnie, uh, on girls. She just finally got cast in the uh, role that was made for her. Evil white girl, evil white bitch. So have you seen her in anything else other than girls in this? I don't, um, I mean, again, first feature film. I don't know what she's done. I'd never seen her before, girl. Before so <clears throat> looking at her IMDb, American Dreams, never saw that. Will and Kate, um, she played Kate Middleton. There you go. I think the only thing I've seen her in was um, the Peter Pan Live, where she played Peter Pan. I, I've just, I saw images of it. I was never intrigued enough to, <laughs> or gave a shit enough to go see her. I'm, I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't, I'm probably being a dick. She seems like she's, I don't know her. She could be amazing. But I don't know. Her dad with the lying about Iraq and then the ass eating on girls, which I'll spare you. It, it's a thing. Just, I don't, maybe, I don't know. I, maybe I blended too, too much with her character, but I really was over girls last season. So what you, what was your best moments? What, were, what did you think in general? <clears throat> what were your best moments about Get Out? Well, I mean, it was, uh, like I said, I, I, I came into it very, um, with a lot of anticipation, and then you told me that this is like a, you know, one of those anxiety movies, and I'm not really big on those. I mean, you avoid them. Yeah, especially. I mean, horror is not really my my cup of tea. You didn't really grow up with them, did you? No, I get freaked out. I really get freaked out. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, they make you anxious. You can't sleep. Like, what happens? Well, it's like, like I, I think we had this conversation a while ago, <clears throat> like when. Um, the body, you see the body doing things that it shouldn't be doing or, like, voices going backwards. That really scares me. And plus the whole thing with, like, the religious background and demons and lake of fire and gnashing of teeth and leprosy. 
That's your background. That's not the movie we're talking about. No, no, about. that's my that's, – <laughs> I, I, I have this imagination where it's like, oh, my – holy shit, this stuff is real. It feels real to you. Yeah, it does. Yeah, see, and I – because you had that sheltered childhood, and I was just like basically – I could have – you know, I was raised by wolves. I could watch anything. Like we were – we were. I think my dad took us to the drive-in when we were kids, and I can tell this on him because he's dead. But um, he he took us to the Tawasintha drive-in uh, in the little hometown where I'm from in Alabama, and he wanted to see this film. But I, I don't know if it, he intentionally knew it had like like peen in it, and I don't think it was a porno. I think it was just one of those those grindhouse films that could. It, it was R-rated, and we were little kids. I was like ten. And we were just supposed to sit in the back, me and my brother, with a blanket over our head. It was like fucking summer. So I'm just sitting in the backyard eating popcorn, and my mom's trying to, like, get me to not look. And I'm like, are you kidding me? The family reunion that we had gone to, like, the prior summer, my grandfather walked out and whipped his dick out. So, I mean, it wasn't my first dick. So we were just – I wasn't sheltered, suffice it to say. And so me and my cousins, we saw – I don't know what age we were now. I mean, I should look up the numbers. I'm really bad at timelines, but – we saw The Exorcist when we were like little. We were like 12, 13. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have. I mean, I remember, yeah. you know, I, my first, <clears throat> maybe one of my first trick-or-treating events I went to. I mean, I saw people's costumes and I was terrified. Wow. Because I mean, I was terrified in, in Star Wars Return of the Jedi. We went, that came out when I was a kid. We stood in line at the... Um, at a theater in Westwood, it wasn't the main one. It's the one that's on um, Wilshire Boulevard. Um, um, it's not in in the city of Westwood. It's it's. I don't even know if that theater is still there. But <clears throat> I remember just being absolutely terrified of all the creatures and the monsters. You were. Yeah. <clears throat> that's crazy. And like there was this one. Sh- you, you again. You were not exposed to this. No. I, you, there was no TV in the house. No. Family super religious, and you grew up in. Fucking Los Angeles. Yeah. And you didn't. And I grew up in like backward ass, nowhere fucking Alabama. But then, and you know. Then and was you, desensitized and had watched, you know, Exorcist when I was like 12. It was, you know, I was also scared of, of the supernatural and also just, you know, the regular things going on. Because when I was growing up, we had the Night Stalker and that was a big thing. Okay, now I'll give you that one. You know, and so it, yeah. it all, you know. You had all, a real life boogeyman yeah. going around murdering people when you were growing up. That was, you know, and it was, it was a, it was like. Very highly, you know, the, it hit the news cycle like every day, and it was like, oh, again. I think you know, and my cousins lived in Atlanta when uh, there was a lot of uh, no. Atlanta was no joke. I mean, it, it certainly was no Los Angeles, but we had like those child murders uh, that were going on in like I want to say that was late eighties, early nineties, where there was a child murderer. It was like thirteen kids, no. something like that. And so you did have that kind of context, and you did have real boogeyman, and we knew the yeah. world was real. The milk were... carton, the missing children, Absolutely. and you were terrified of going missing. Yeah, we were. We, I don't know if we were terrified so much as we just we always sat around as kids, and we were like little badasses. We always had like battle strategies. How would we murder someone if there was four of us? How could we murder a full grown adult? It was like that kind of yeah. shit. We were kind of more like. Uh, well, that's that's kind of cool. I mean, that's it, redneck mentality. That's. I, I mean, I was just. It was just me. Yeah, you were just by yourself. You didn't have so like your I, cousins no, to help beat wholesale ass. I would, I would go fall really deep into my own imagination, and that's why I don't do a lot of those, you know, uh, movies. Now I can watch them. Now, I mean, like, you know, it's weird when a body bends backwards. Yeah, it's just it's weird. Well, like it follows. I think what disturbed us both was 
there's the anticipation and there's all the there's the storyline and there's a narrative and I'm like, eh, okay, this is kind of creep-ish because I'm totally desensitized to creep creep. But you and I had the yeah. same thing about the body doing what it that like that opening to be. scene with the, the yeah. yeah yeah not cool yeah with it follows. I mean, but but I get how it you know it was recommended by our our director friend Carando. Uh, Mitsutake, I can't say his name on the fly. Mits, Mits, Mitsutake. Yeah, okay, I'm an asshole. Sorry, Karando. Just your name is so Japanesey, dude. But it's very cool. Um, <laughs> you're, you're doing your Mr. Roboto right now. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But but this, I mean, this is this is, I mean, going saying that this is this was like, um, you know, it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of of that type of terror in it, but it was like. You know, just shot selections, the way people looked at camera and the way <clears throat> yeah, the, the people talked. And then just the story was creepy. I loved uh, I loved that Peel, Peel, you know, Jordan Peele said that he was the only one who could make this movie. And, and then I know what he means by that. Not like, I'm the only one. It, first of all, it's his idea. He wrote it during um, the first term of the Obama administration as an answer to that. Hey, racism is all good. And he's like, it is absolutely not. And instead of having villains who are like the redneck knuckle dragon, you know, Trump lovers, you have these, you know, elitist Democrats who would have voted for Obama for the third term. They're so deeply racist. They don't even know that they're racist because they are these liberal elites. And I like that they were the villains in this. That they like to pat themselves on the back while they're also terrorizing and taking over the bodies of black people so they can run faster and be cooler and black as in. You know, it's pretty sinister plot. It is very, yeah. And that's what got me. You know, for me, monsters, I think that's why I'm fascinated with zombies because zombies look very close to human beings. When I saw Night of the Living Dead, um, you had this black man running from all of these fucking zombies and you're like black man why are you in this neighborhood what the hell happened um and i think that's also what inspired peel as well you know you have a black protagonist so he he comes to it from that level and and can understand it on that level it got me just on the fact that i don't like hell is other people john paul sartre nailed it for me when i'm walking down the street it's seven o'clock at night and I'm by myself, and it's like in the winter time, and it's dark outside. And somebody drive by, and it's creepy. I don't even need a fucking horror movie. That's because in this day and age, that could be your last day on the earth, right? So this movie got me because it's just regular people doing regular ass shit. Yeah. And then the sunken place, um, uh, just hit all of my fears about. I don't like. I'm agoraphobic. I'm not agoraphobic. Well, I am a, probably agoraphobic, but I'm claustrophobic. And agoraphobic. I don't like being trapped, but yet I trap myself in the house. It's very, I should probably see a shrink. But, like, I don't like being in, in tight places. I don't like elevators. I have a reoccurring nightmare about elevators and the weird shit that, ha- that happens in them and they're coffin-like. Um, I don't know. I, I just, it really hits me on this level. It made me extremely uncomfortable. But once I got it out of my system and I went back for the second viewing, then I could, if you will, enjoy it more in for what it was but it was very anxiety inducing yeah it was it was uh and and it took it took me it took me a little while to understand what was going on yeah you didn't Uh, have any cues like no because because you said you know before we i watched it you was like you said um 
you know, you'll get it quick. You'll you'll understand it. So I was, I mean, I wasn't trying. I wasn't hey. sitting there going, "Try to, you know, I'm going to get this." But it, it was, it was. I really liked the uh, the the journey of putting things together, <clears throat> and you know, you know, towards the end, and then seeing other, you know, thinking about certain scenes, and then, and that's why we watch. Can can you know? Well, let's go see this scene again. And I, I thought it was. I thought it was the story was it was very well laid out and not overly complicated. Not overly complicated, but enough to where it's not it's not like oh here's a piece it's it's too easy. Yeah, kind of a thing. It's not like you have to sort of crawl through it. Like I don't I don't well I, to me Game of Thrones is not complicated anymore because I know the players. But like when you first start watching that show, like Game of Thrones or reading the books, well especially the books, you're like. Hold up now. What? Who is this? Is this Mandalay dude? The Mandalays are not even on the show. What the fuck is this? It, like, it's like it's that's enjoyable because if you want to sign up for that, that's great. But I like just if you're doing a horror film or a thriller in this case, it's like a horror thriller. And I think he has kind of busted the genre up. I love it. I get to think a little bit. I get to be really scared and I get to be really uncomfortable. And then, you know, Lorel comes and saves the day. Yeah. And that's awesome. And bitch is dead on discreet. I'm glad you're dead, bitch. Yeah. I'm dead. I'm glad you're dead. I'm sorry, Grandpa had to go, uh, but he was he was in hell. But um, I liked the ending. It felt like an '80s ending when it's like TSA, TS, motherfucking A. We handle yeah. shit. Consider this shit fucking handled. Uh, wonderful last line. And then we get the alternative ending, which is a total fucking yeah. bummer. Of, you know, Chris gets caught, he goes to prison, but at least he's not living in, you know, Stephen Root's body uh, as, you know, a formerly blind white art dealer. Well, like right up to the end, you know, I was, you know, it wasn't obvious to me that that was going to be his buddy. Oh, that I didn't. That totally was the twist for me. The twist wasn't that they were doing the stuff with the people. I liked how they carried it out. And I'm not trying to be that smart ass that goes, I figured it out. I didn't figure it out. I figured there was some sort of like hijacking, some sort of body something, body snatching, but I wasn't grasping it. Yeah. But when he's sitting in the chair and the execution of the television set and the shot of the tea thing, I was like, okay, this is... It was stylized in a way that I think has made this this movie almost instantly iconic. I mean, box office, first black director with a film to hit $100 million opening weekend, continues to rack up points 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, if you're into like what those guys think. I mean, but I think the reason those things are happening is because we're having the conversation about elitists patting themselves on the back and going, um, look, I'm so evolved the black experience also just the fact that that all of that including a highly stylized fairly straightforward if you look back in on the second and third run like it's he's telling you where we're going yeah he is and we just go there it's like the shining there's no subplot in the shining um it's just shit is just going bad it just starts from it's not awesome and then it just gets really terrible and then you got scat man you know Somewhere in Miami going, I oh, fuck motherfucker, I gotta get this kid out of there. It's the same thing here. You've got Chris Laurel trying to figure it out. Yeah. And then he goes to the cops 
and he does all the things that we would do. And Chris, I love the ending. Chris does everything we would do. Yeah. He takes an opportunity. He kills the motherfucker. Kills the next motherfucker, kills the next motherfucker, and he gets right to the door, and then that's when, you know, you're screaming and yelling. You're like, motherfucker, get the door open, God damn it. It's all of the false getaways that just get you, and I think that makes it an instant classic. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, they've done this to him, and then he just, like, one by one is getting his revenge, just like. And it feels good. And it feels good. It's like, the first one, it's, you know, he hits him with the ball. Mm Mm-hmm. With the bocce ball or something. And you know, I'm screaming, you know, and it's rule like, of three. Hit him again, hit him again. Rule of three, you know? hit him again, motherfucker. And then he does the, um, you know, the, the father with the antlers. So, yeah. I mean, okay, so that, and the way, and the way uh, that guy died too was kind of cool. Yeah. And then they got rid of the mom. That was brutal. That was like with him the just, whole, the thing oh, through the hand. The, the knife uh. through the hand and Chris is like, you know, I'm just going to have to do this. I'm going to, he knows what's up. He, I gotta fight. If I don't get out of this house, now how do, how does he kill her? He does he end up pulling it he, out and stabbing no, her? No, he's it's still, still in his, his hand, hand, and he turns it and and punches the bitch right in the face. Right? I don't know. I something, like it again. It's, something like that. Yeah. You bitch, you bitch is now on knife against her. Yeah. Yes. And then you know the the sun coming back out. <laughs> Getting excited again. And then he does give him that one last stomp in the face. Oh my god! He stomps his head three times, and then we hear the skull crack, and that was like was, really. Yeah. Oh my god! That that creepy cracker ass motherfucker. Hmm. I'm so glad to see him dispatched in that delicious boot stomping way. And then we got Grandma, and he he's he's acknowledging with us. He's like, "I do. I go and get her." And we're screaming, "No, don't get her, bitch!" And he's even having his moment. Yeah, he's us and him in the scene. He's like, "Oh God, damn it!" And he goes back to get her, and guess what happens? You know, she turns on him. Yeah, that was that's when I that's when I because I was I didn't get right away that I thought they were just. In that sunken place and being hypnotized, I did not realize that they were actually transplanting brains. Right, into the people. It's like the grandfather when, when he's like, oh, the way they were all speaking, speaking old-timey. That's probably my first clue is when we interact with um, the people at the, the tea party or even before then. But then there's a little with Georgina even, and and I, there was something about that. There's a little part of the original brain though that stays in there, right? right? And he explains it. He says, "Whatever." I mean, I didn't listen to this part very intently. I should have that the thalamus or whatever retains the identity, retains um, enough of a person. This is Stephen Root's character, the blind man, is speaking to him and telling him, you know. Enough of you to keep you walking and talking and moving around. We have to have the body to function. That's where it's explained. And I have to I have to watch that section again, see what he said. Yeah, and somehow it's triggered by, you know, light. Because I, I thought, you know, he's like, I'm going to use your eyes. Well, I was like, I thought he's going to have Chris just take pictures for him, and then he's going to say that they're his or something like that. I wasn't right. putting that together. You were doing the network version of this. Yeah. The very friendly network version. And, and then when I when I – Finally got it. I was like, oh, that is that is even more disturbing. They're putting white people brain in black people's bodies. And then that the first time when he snaps that photo at, uh, at uh, what's his name? Lakeith. Yeah. And he's that look on his face. And yeah. Like, Get out. <laughs> it's so awesome. <laughs> it's really, uh, it's really good. Um, I mean, that's an understatement. I'm pretty, I, and I just kept looking forward to it. I just, I heard the buzz. 
I kind of, and I, being a huge fan of Key and Peele, I'd been hearing for years, even when he was still doing um, Key and Peele, that he wanted to do horror films. And I thought, well, that'll be interesting to see what he would do. And I thought, well, he'll do something funny. He goes, no, I, I want to do horror films. And I think he's got another one on the horizon pretty quickly, uh, a thriller coming up. So we we'll look for that, see what he does next. But that's pretty fucking awesome. There was no, there was no down or or boring moment. There were mm-hmm. no characters that I, I not a waste of time. I didn't invest in. I mean, yeah. everyone, even from like just the the way the people, the the background people, like when he walks up this, they're all talking, and he goes and walks up the stairs, and they all stop and they look up. It's that like, was creepy. It's like. Whoa. That was awesome. The silent auction. Oh, the silent auction. The literal slave auction yeah. with the bingo cards being done silently by uh, Bradley Whitford. That was creepy. That was. I was like, what are they doing? It's so. And the rail's got it all figured out. He had yeah. the. He literally had it nailed out. He sits there and tells Latasha Peel, that's the name that they gave the detective. I think they're abducting brothers. I got two of them already they're that we know of. Slaves or sex slaves. The shit. Oh, I, I didn't mean the shit. Sorry about the shit. <laughs> Oh, so good. So if you get a chance to, uh, if you if you listen to this far, you you got to have watched it. I wouldn't imagine you would have listened to a podcast about Get Out and have us just completely ruin it for you. So hopefully you paid attention to those tags. Um, next one, and it, this is not your favorite film, but um, I'm going to talk about it just because it just came out and it kind of stuck with me as well. I was looking forward to it specifically because of Rami Malek. I have huge, huge... I don't say I'm not a fan of things. I don't feel like I'm a fanatic. I kind of get obsessed with actors or directors or certain styles of things. I don't know. Am I a fan of Rami Malek's? Yeah. Okay. Well, never mind. So anyway, I wanted to see this movie because it is the first film that Rami's had a lead in. He's had a lot of like little side roles. He's he's stood out in everything he's made. Uh, he certainly is well-known for Snafu in the Pacific, and his Aquaman Ra was pretty cool and not at the museum. There's some funny stuff there. You know, there's, he's been like um, in a, sh- sh- a short-run show uh, called The War at Home. He plays a gay kid, and he's dealing with all that kind of stuff. And Need for Speed, you know, which, eh, he's the best thing in it in my mind. Yeah. Uh, him and Kid Cudi, they're funny. They're awesome. Just I could have watched a movie with just the two of those guys in it. So this comes along, and what's interesting about Buster's Malheart, this total indie, is that Sarah Adina Smith, the writer and the director, snagged Rami before he even signed on to do Mr. Robot. So he was looking around for unusual material. Um, he knew he wasn't going to, he's, he's of Egyptian ascent, descent. He's not going to play any more terrorists. He's done a couple of those and he's not going to be that guy. So he's looking for like really uh, good material and he finds this script which from what I understand wasn't even a fully uh, fleshed out script. It was probably around 40 to 60 pages. I don't know exactly and it had some pictures in it and uh, Smith had workshopped it somewhere and they got financing pretty quick and it was supposed to have a Hispanic actor in the lead and they couldn't find anyone. And they considered uh, Rami, and he said yes. So I guess they they shoot season one of Mr. Robot, then they shoot Buster's Malheart in the break, and then this film just came out after season two, right? Yeah, I guess I am a fanatic that I know all of this stuff this well. So finally, I'm like, I'm going to go see this at the theater. I drag you to a matinee. Yeah, we actually go to the theater. We go to to the theater to see this one, which, 
you know. And I had to say we were both pretty underwhelmed initially. And maybe it's because I built it up in my head. But this is kind of what we should talk about. Because I knew, I had seen a lot of trailers and clips. I was reading about it. I was excited for Rami. It looked like a very interesting concept of a man living two consciousness or on two different planes, split in two, literally. So I was like really interested in something kind of, you know, earthy and fun and cool and purely in purely indie. But I really, what was your take on it? I mean, be as honest as you want to be because. Well, look, I mean, the acting was stellar. Everyone was really good. The directing, I think, was was good as well. Um, I just, I thought it was a little bit confusing in a way that there, I, there were there are things I would have liked explained a little bit more. You know, like there's times when, <clears throat> excuse me, when in the movie he is, he makes up this this guy, this another part another, of himself, a another, Mr. Robot, type. Um, like a mis- yeah, yeah, or like a. Uh, a fight club type of a thing. Sure. Um, and I don't think she didn't, she hadn't seen any of the scripts for Mr. Robot. So there's no way she would have known. Yeah. But She's not I mean, mimicking anyone. No, but I mean, fight club has been out for a long time. Sure. So, and the way they explained it, it was like, Oh shit, snap. Kind yeah. Of a thing. So you were waiting for an own snap moment. Uh, just a little bit more clarification because in, in another time when he's talking to the TV and then there's the, um, um, <clears throat> Uh, the 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 fortune teller, you know, call in, mm-hmm. right? And he's and he's talking to her. So obviously, that's in his own mind, right? Now, or it's actually happening. We never really know. Or yeah, yeah, because we don't know. There's just so much. We have videotape of him talking to himself, so we know that the stranger is not there. It's it, yeah. There's just a, a little bit more. I think that could have been explained. I mean, like, I don't even know, and maybe because I just am too dense to get it, but like. The the late night thing with the the person who has the whole theory of the wormhole and all that yeah was that real or did he make that up I mean I think that's kind of the question that you're having to ask yourself and I haven't really delved too much I've only seen a couple of interviews with Sarah Dina Smith and I think she's she did shrooms and she came up with this script which you know has off to her and she she well maybe I need to be on shrooms to watch it. Then. <laughs> So it's, it's here's a family man, Jonah. He's got a he's got a past. He has a police record. He meets his wife, who's a junkie. They get together, you know, they kind of save each other, if you will. And they have this young daughter, and you know, they're they're struggling. They're starting out. They're living with her parents, and they're super religious. And Jonah is not, and he's trying to teach his young daughter Spanish. She's two. The mother's very judgmental and doesn't like that and probably a little bit racist if she doesn't want her granddaughter to learn, you know, her father's native language yeah. um, stuff like that. So Jonah, he's working overnights at a hotel. There's a lot of sleep debt that I think plays into this. So what threw me is, is Jonah so sleep deprived that he's imagining seeing this drifter? Is he imagining the man on television or is the man just on television and he's watching this crazy man and it gets in it worms its way into Jonah's psyche and his mind breaks yeah and he has a he has a psychotic break and actually ends up you know murdering his family and 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 he's just on this you know he's somewhere drifting off in the whatever but I think Smith's interpretation is that some of this is imagined and then some of it is literally 
a man who's got this mal heart and he's looking for a fix. He's looking for redemption. And he literally is so pulled by his love for his wife and his child and not wanting to be a family man and to want to go live free and be free that he literally splits in two. Now, I think that's awesome for an indie film to have that notion but my problem with the film is that I don't mind you doing that and it being mysterious. And I don't think you'd need to necessarily lay it completely out for me. But I, I needed more exposition then maybe. Maybe I just needed more time with the film. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just thinking, you know, the, like the, um, the, uh, the character, the DJ Qualls character, the yeah. last free man. <clears throat> like that last time when he gives him that room, you know – Something's going to happen. Yeah, you do. You know, but then I'm like, but why? Right. And so later on, the psychic. What's the point of The it? fortune teller tells him, you know, we found a bug in the system. So I interpreted that to be, and this is probably very wrong, that in order for him to go to the other side um, and not be held down by his family, he could just, he could send them to the other side. Right. Yeah, there was that. There was, they had to I, die. Yeah, I that one. Yeah. So they had to die, so then he could meet them on the other side, the celestial shores, yeah. or the other side of the double butthole, as Toby Russ's character says. There was that ca- the conversation with, you know, the last from man is like, or you can send him ahead, and right because they were talking about this whole right. Yeah, I, yeah. So he just he kills them to send them there, and then he doesn't realize what he's done. He has such a psychotic break. He thinks that this drifter killed him when he, in fact, has done this himself. And he commits a sacrifice at the end. He's going to have death by cop, and instead of passing away, he disappears, and he meets them on the other shore. Again, you'll get the spoiler tag if you have been listening to this podcast and you just got to that spoiler Um should read the description i I mean it just it just i mean it just makes these like really to me it just makes these really big jumps do you did you feel like it was pretentious indie kind of fair you're not a big indie guy i mean i know that i I know what i like i like i don't mind weird i don't mind very bizarre like yeah. Well, we haven't watched Twin Peaks yet, so we'll see how and I, you we'll know, test your weird meter on that one. That's a podcast coming up, right? Yeah, and I'll I'll sit through. I mean, like again, it's like you know, the, who does um, who does all those films um, like the um, Best in Show and and all oh, Christopher Guest. Yeah, I you love like all stuff. those. Yeah, they're great. But I mean, like this, I felt. You know, I felt it. There was just something missing, and like at the end, it was like, "Oh, the eagles came. Oh, we could fly. <laughs> Why didn't we do that in season one? Why did we have to walk uh... through? Uh, you know, that's the kind of you know, yeah, thing that I got. And then I don't know if it, it was because I didn't get it while I was watching it, or you know, the, you know, her her mind is so deep that you know, I, and I I don't want to shit on the work of art. I thought it was yeah. it was very well done. Mm-hmm. It looked beautiful. It was edited great. The sound was great. I just didn't get the story. Right. Now, and I had I watched it a second time and enjoyed it uh, a lot more. And I think it's a movie, that's one of those, it's one of those movies that if you're into Rami Malek, if you showed up in the first place and you really want to keep going, I think you get, I think on a third, fourth watching, you get even more bits out of it or you'd read more into it. I don't know. Um because I was a little annoyed when I saw it in the theater. I, I was expecting something from it, uh, more out of it than I what I got. 
the second viewing, I, I guess I was appreciating more the performances. Um, the perf- the performances were great. Yeah, I mean, I think you and I great. both like Rami's acting. We think he's great. We like him as Mr. Robot. Mm-hmm. We like him as Snafu. I mean, like, he's one of those guys who doesn't bug me. And I like DJ Qualls, too. And I, we've been watching him forever. He's just a quirky guy, but he can play it straight. I liked I liked everybody. I mean, from for, even from the— Caitlin Shell, the wife, she's great. She the little great. girl. The grandmother. I mean, there yeah, was that sort of yeah. tension in there. Yeah, she was from uh, Something <clears throat> About Mary. She plays the overly tanned woman in oh, Something really? About Mary. Yeah, everybody showed up and did their job. I just— uh, I think I think what I don't agree with is calling Sarah Adina uh, Smith. Um, who directed The Shining? I don't know. Kubrick. Kubrick. She's calling it Kubrick, and I'm like, okay, I know it's in a hotel and weird shit happens, but and when I also, you know, I'm not a big huge You're fan not a of big Kubrick. Kubrick yeah, fan I'm either. sorry, I'm I'm that guy. I mean, uh-huh. who am I to say that? But fuck Kubrick, he's a pretentious piece of shit. Um, so. Duh. But I mean, but I don't think, I think she needs some more time on the water. I think we're seeing some glimpses. I haven't seen the first film. This is her second film. For a second film, it's pretty fucking stellar. She lucked out and, or had the good sense to cast Rami. Um, so the people who are, the people who were getting rewarded are the people who are hiring Rami Malik. Now we'll see if that comes to a crashing halt when he's in uh, the Queen biopic, Bohemian Rhapsody, because then that may just be the end of it. We've, Enjoyed knowing you, Rami. And then he shat in his cornflakes. Oh, my God. I hope he doesn't fuck it up because it's just, dude. Whoa. I mean, have you heard his frog voice? I mean, Freddie Mercury (laughs) had a two-octave, okay, whatever. Uh, One of the best voices in the music business ever. Ever. Please dub his voice in. I think he could probably act the shit out of the role. I think he could act and be Freddie Mercury. But it's just, I worry about the singing and I worry about the band having such a, we're going to have a bigger talk about it later because I'm going to watch it. I'm definitely going to watch it. Well, we're still waiting burn. ever, even, we don't even know if this is going to get off the ground. Uh, it's it's in development. I mean, it's, oh. I think they they have a shooting <clears throat> schedule up, you know. I mean, hold on. Let's let's just see what uh, Rom Rom's uh life looks like here so he's in this let's click over here to the old imdb what did we do before imdb you know what we did we went who's the guy uh the thing he was uh and you would just do that for 20 minutes and never got an answer and then like three days later you would go oh my god it was guy pierce it's yeah. it's on his thing it says bohemian rhapsody 2018 announced announced right so i mean what does that mean i mean it, and i've seen things get announced and then go away i'm not fa- i'm not uh Fond of Brian Singer. Um, yeah, I've got shit on my IMDb that never got made. Right? It was announced. <laughs> and it gets re-upped every single year. It's right. Like, that was like five years ago, dude. <laughs> right. Why does it say 2018? So, yeah, there's a couple. Of, there's a lot of complications. There's a lot of uh, that whole deal is problematic. So I don't know if he signed on to something that he shouldn't. But he's been, you know, he spent some time hanging out with the band, doing the preparation. He's doing the, the Rami Malik preparation because he likes to prepare himself to death and back, um, likes to get into it. So hopefully it won't be a shit show because your star is is about to soar and you're taking on a rock fucking icon. Yeah. Yeah, I worry about the guy. Um, so Buster, yeah, Buster Smellheart. I had a lot of questions about things. I think, like when he shits in the pot, well, what are we trying to do that's there? That's the one thing you were like, oh, you were saying before we saw it, it's like, you ready? You ready to see uh, some Robbie Malik shitting in the pot? I mean, it was like. <laughs> You're like, she literally meant that. 
And I don't know what that's for. I don't know. I mean, I kind of like it if that were, it's very Twin Peaksian, you know? There's, if I, I kind of saw this through a t- Twin Peaks filter. So, so and that's Twin why Peaks I'm more is tolerant sort of like, of it. yeah. it's going to be where I'm not, I'm going to sit there going, why? Right. You're literally going to do that for how many hundreds of hours it's going to take to do two seasons 26 years ago and then the 18 episodes. You will go, what the actual fuck? So I have a tolerance. Like, I have a tolerance for horror films. You know, I don't get as scared as you do because, you know, I grew up with no parental management whatsoever. And then I've been exposed to Twin Peaks. So for me, this was Twin Peaksy in at times. So I was tolerant of not getting right. answers. So maybe I'll have to, to re <clears throat> rewatch Busters after I, I, I get. Yeah. I, I and see what we'll do yeah. on the end of the Twin Peaks uh, podcast is I'll go, hey, so now does Buster Smell Heart make sense? We'll go, oh, it, it seems like a sitcom compared to what I just fucking watched. Yeah. Because the, yeah, you just can't, I can't wait to show you Twin Peaks. It's, um, there's nothing like it. You, you were asking me, like, compare it to something. And I was like, I literally cannot compare this to anything. So there's nothing on the earth. There was a thing that they tried to call Twin Palms. I was just like, it was so like ABC was just trying to rip it off. They had like the network was trying to mimic what was David twi- Lynch. What was it on? It just didn't work. I had to look up some stuff about Twin Palms. It was on ABC. Twin Peaks initially was on yeah, that some network? Some executive who huh. was probably doing <clears throat> lots of blow thought it would be a great idea to put David Lynch on like some primetime slot, I remember. It was something nuts like that. Had the ratings do at the time. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I have to look that up. When we do the right. podcast, I'll have to look we'll that up. Because I remember I was excited, but we were all, because I worked at an ABC affiliate, and we were like, who the fuck is putting David Lynch on television? And we were seeing like the, um, the advertisements for it, and I was like, did he go mainline? We had just seen like Blue Velvet, where the main character like breathes an oxygen mask and puts his fingers on one and goes, mommy, mommy. You know, you're like, this guy's doing <laughs> television? What the fuck, man? So. That shit doesn't happen today. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, can you think of anything on network television that is. So fucking out there? Yeah. Lots of things. Like what? I can't think of one thing right now. I mean, they've, they've had some pretty bizarre things happen on network. Cause, cause what Twin Peaks did. And again, we're kind of giving away the podcast we're gonna do but what it did was it was groundbreaking well non i mean like fx it to me is cable network it's not like yeah abc nbc cbs yeah yeah i mean maybe fox, you're right regular fox maybe you're right but i mean i could come up with examples as i was i'll give you some examples when we did that particular podcast well i guess they do have the um modern family on one of those regular yeah i mean that's gay stuff i mean like no. but but no one there's no one putting Twin Peaks on television until they waited 26 years later to put it on HBO or I'm sorry Showtime oh. because that's the only place it, it could go and it's as weird and wacky as it's uh, they're just letting it rip it's awesome right. um, yeah so those two things we got under the uh, alpha under our belt any last thoughts like uh, get out would you, uh, you gonna watch the next Jordan Peele thing oh yeah I mean I I like the way Jordan Peele's mind works. Me too. You know, I thought like even even the character the, the like the the grandmother and the the uh, grandfather character 
they they reminded me of of Key and Peele sketches where there was like a really odd character. Yeah, because that would be Jordan's influence. You and know, it was just like it, it, even the comedy sketches. It's creepy. Yeah, you know, I love the creep factor from Jordan Peele. I mean, I don't know what Keegan. I mean, Keegan obviously brought the the his element to it too, and they both could be very very creepy together. But I feel like a lot of that dark dark darker shit. Came from Jordan, the and, horror and, and, fan and even guy. like the dark shit. It's like like the the zombie. You know, you, yeah. That wasn't it. Was it, that was hilarious? But there's other other skits. The that baby. Are just, oh, the creepy baby. Like the little. Oh my god. There's so many that. Yeah. It's just like holy shit. And I loved it. It was yeah. really really dark stuff. Um, but but yeah. about, would you see another? <clears throat> if Sarah Adina Smith announced her next film, would you go and see that tomorrow in the theater? Um. Well. Do you know if if I got a complimentary ticket? Then you would go. Then I'd go. I, I'd pay for my own parking. <laughs> so, But otherwise, she's no. She's parking worthy. She's not if, ticket price worthy. You know, so that'd be a new standard for films that we see in the theater. Parking worthy? Yeah. Is it, if you get a free ticket, you'll go. You'll even play for your parking. But it's like, I wouldn't even pay for my ticket or my parking for this motherfucker. And I may not even wait for it on Netflix. I feel like we could have a star rating system built on these criteria. Yeah, we totally could. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So she's parking worthy. <clears throat> well. $12 parking, street parking, a uh, few dollars. She's not She's not downtown Santa Monica parking worthy. Oh, wow. That's, that's kind of cruel. You know, yeah, I'll pay about. Wow. No, I, I, I wouldn't go see it. I would wait till it's on Netflix. Cause okay. I, I'm Unless... going to probably – I'm going to go see Rami Malek's stuff. I don't know if I'm going to go see the next one in the theater. I think I'm going to wait if it's indie. I mean, I don't think I can sit and watch Bohemian Rhapsody with another – with audience. I would, I'd be too anxious. That's going to be my horror movie. I'm going to have to just sit at home <laughs> and watch it quietly and check to see if Rami Malek has, you know, left the country, you know. Yeah. So where he can go nowhere because Freddie Mercury's known everywhere. You can't run and hide, bitch. If you suck in this, maybe. I don't think he'll let himself suck. He's very serious. And, and everything I've even seen, he's in, in um, over there. Terrible series, by the way. He plays Hassan. Uh, he plays, you know, he plays a terrorist that they, you know, blah, blah, blah. Terrorist with honor because he's fighting for his people kind of thing. Terrible series. He's actually uh, interrogated by Michael Cutlets in the scene. Oh, really? Uh, he he turns in a stellar performance. I don't think I've never seen him suck. He's been in Alcatraz, Medium. He's that little his little show things that he's in. Kids, he's gotten less stiff. He's certainly come into his own. So I can't see him fucking that up. But I don't know. We'll have to. We'll talk about it when we get there. Uh, we have Game of Thrones coming up this summer. We're going to be talking about that one. We'll probably do episode by episode of that one or maybe do them in a cluster. I don't know. There's a lot going on. There's only seven or eight episodes coming up. That's starting this, this summer, right? It's July, yeah. man. That is just around the corner. So that's coming up. So you got to stand by for that. And uh, There's lots a lot of, of stuff we're watching now. Tons of stuff. Like We'll now. hit you guys back. We're going to do Handmaid's Tale and Better Call Saul and... Um, all the good stuff that's out there right now. American gods. American gods, motherfuckers. The Americans. The Americans. Oh man. Although, you know, they're they're doing their their season finale next week, and it seems like all the action is going to be in that one. Yeah, we'll have to talk about how they just uh, they Walking so, Dead that motherfucker a little bit. Yeah, exposition will kill you if that's your entire season. Um, we'll talk about Twan. 
the dangerous decisions of Tuan. Stepple's gangster. He is. Uh, he's a little bit out of control. He's out of control. All right, so I hope you guys uh, enjoyed listening. Come back for uh, our next podcast. We've enjoyed spending some time with you. Remember, uh, if you are past a certain age and you feel like you could be, uh, you know, could have colon cancer, if it's in your uh, your family, go get a colonoscopy. I'm going to go do that soon. I know that's a strange reminder, but hey, it's my PSA. I think you should go out there and get a colonoscopy. I haven't gotten mine, but I'm going to do it. Uh, mammograms, do your checkups. Uh, what, what are other tips? Oh, here's a tip. If you're walking your dog down the street and I'm already in the middle of the block, cross over to the other side of the block. Uh, it's just a courtesy. Don't just walk your dog that I don't know up to my dog. Just don't be that asshole. So any last closing thoughts for you? Um, no, no closing thoughts. <laughs> All right. You guys uh, have a good night and we'll see you soon. And don't let anybody put no tea a teaspoon and a cup in front of you and roll it around back and forth because you're going to end up in the second place. (laughs) Good night.